Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. I'll tell you, it's been a real blessing for Mrs. Mitchell and me to be back. I said, I think last night, or maybe the night before last, that we've looked forward to it for some time. And we thank the Lord for you. It's a real blessing to see what God has done. And see how God has blessed Lighthouse Baptist Church. And how God has blessed Pastor Byler's ministry. It's great. It's wonderful. I thank God for it. And thank you for every kindness that you've shown to us. Uh, you're, you're exemplary in it. Thank you for allowing us to use the house and for the gifts that were left there for us and all that you've done. It's been a real blessing. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter number 12. I asked Mrs. Mitchell after this morning's service if it looked... Uh, bad the way I'm leaning on the pulpit anymore. I've got some physical problems. And uh, young preachers, I wouldn't encourage you to lean on the pulpit. I'm getting older and i got some problems. <laughs> and I need to, and it's helped me. And uh, it helps me too to get closer because I have this folded membrane in my eye to get closer to the notes and uh, the scriptures and be able to read these things. We're going to go uh, a few hours tonight. You see, if we, no, I mean traveling. <laughs> My wife and me. <laughs> maybe, maybe, I, maybe I blew your fuse like you. I, I'm, I'm trying to get even, brother. He said the other night after this service, when he was making the announcements, he says, we're going to have a camp meeting downstairs. Yeah, I sat there and I blew a fuse. We're going to have a camp meeting following this service? <laughs> a meeting about the camp they're going to have is what he was talking about. And uh, I really sat there puzzled and thought, uh, why didn't he tell me about this earlier? <laughs> Am I preaching? Who's preaching? But Miss Mitchell and I are going to travel a few hours this evening, tonight, and, and uh, try to save us some time tomorrow. We're doing Grafton, Ohio, which is uh, over west of Cleveland, at 4 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. So that's a 9 to 10 hour drive, just driving time. And uh, so we thought we'd get a little in tonight, and I, I suppose it'll be better than early in the morning going around these cities you've got here and Winston-Salem and so on to get on over to 77. So uh, now we're looking forward to it. I like to travel. I just can't do what I used to do. I used to, when I was pastoring in Pennsylvania, I'd say, well, I'm going down to South Carolina, and I'd leave at maybe 3 in the afternoon drive all night long. Uh, but I can drive about five hours now, five or six hours, and I'm done. Because of problems. But uh, but we do enjoy it. We're going to pick up our 
New Taylor this week and then go on to uh, Wyoming, being a church there for a few weeks and a couple other stops along the way and then on to Carson City to be with the Teals and help them for a month and uh, then we'll be coming back across the south and then uh, in uh, sometime in May we end up over here in Durham for just a few days on the way back and then uh, on up into Pennsylvania. So pray for us. It'll be 7,000 miles or more that we put on the truck. And uh, you know it's dangerous out there. It really is. And uh, so I try every time I get in my automobile, whether I'm going to the grocery store or where I'm going, uh, to pray before I leave the driveway and ask for God's blessing. And uh, if you'd pray for us, I'd really appreciate that. We're in Luke chapter number 12. Did I tell you that? Luke chapter number 12. And we'll get to uh, the verses that I want to look at in just a few minutes. But let me pray and say some things uh, along the lines of an introduction. Father, we thank you tonight for all the many blessings that you have bestowed upon us. And they are just uh, innumerable. It's uh, beyond belief how that you... Uh, saved our souls by grace and have uh, kept us and provided for us and have uh, prepared a place for us in glory and uh, all that you have done. And even here like this, Lord, to uh, set us in a New Testament Baptist church where we can have sweet fellowship and grow in the things of the Lord. What, What a blessing. We love you. We love you, Lord, more than anything and more than anyone. Thank you for first loving us. Thank you for shedding the love of God abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. I pray tonight that you would bless me as I preach the word of God. May it again be in power and in demonstration of thy Holy Spirit. Take it and apply it to our hearts. Meet needs tonight, and we'll thank you for it. For we ask it in the name of God. That is above every name, the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, your wonderful Son. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about your giving. So I'm going to talk to you about money. What do you think about that? I'm going to talk to you about now. Now, if I announce that in some churches, uh, they'd want to get up and walk out. Really. Uh, there's there's a lot of people in a lot of churches across the land that uh, don't want a preacher preaching about money. But uh, I'm going to talk about money to some extent tonight, and I believe it's a good thing when a preacher talks about money if what he has to say is biblical. Amen? If what he has to say is biblical, then it's a good thing. Now, why would I preach about money and giving? Why would your pastor preach about money and giving as he does Because we're commanded to. God tells us in his word that we are to preach the whole counsel of God. And since the word of God uh, has a great deal to say about money and giving, I am under sacred obligation to preach and to teach through preaching what God expects of his people. And for this we ought to be thankful. You know, we ought to be thankful for a couple of things. Number one, that God reveals to us in his word what he expects. 
think about that for just a minute. Wouldn't it be something if uh, God were a demanding God and and uh, had expectations of us, but he didn't reveal to us what he expected? That would be hard. But God is a wonderful God, a caring God, and he reveals to us everything that he expects of us in his word, and I'm so thankful for that because uh, I want to please him, and that helps me to please him. Uh, well, to be thankful, number two, that uh, your pastor and other preachers, such as myself, are willing to boldly preach on this subject so that you can know the will of God and be a faithful steward of the things of God. I want to be a faithful steward of the things of God. So we need to search the scriptures and see what God has to say. I was with a pastor many years ago. I was just, uh, I suppose, 28 years old. And he had asked me to come, and it was up in Pennsylvania, and he'd asked me to come and uh, preach a sermon for him on a Sunday afternoon as that church was going to burn their mortgage. They had a mortgage on their property, their building, and he they paid it off, and he wanted me to come and uh, celebrate with them and preach that afternoon. And uh, just before I got up to preach, I was sitting over here on the front row, and just before I got up to preach, he got up, and uh, he gave a testimony, and he said to the church that he had been their pastor for many years, and he said, I have never in all these years preached about money or giving. And he was proud of that. He was proud of that, that he never spoke about money. In other words, it was like uh, we've just depended on God to provide and, you know, walked by faith, and so I've never said anything about it. But uh, he was wrong in what he did. I sat there thinking as a young preacher that he had failed the Lord in preaching the whole counsel of God and that he had failed the people of God, the flock of God, over which the Holy Ghost had made him an overseer. He'd failed them in teaching what God expected of them concerning their money and they're giving. Not just a young fellow. But I was right, and he was wrong. We need to preach the whole counsel of God. Now, I said earlier that the Bible has a great deal to say about money. As a matter of fact, there are over 1,000 verses which address the subject of money, stewardship, that type of thing, in some way or another in the Bible. 16 of Christ's 38 parables dealt with money, in some form. Jesus had more to say about money, more to say about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. Money, stewardship, that kind of thing. So it's an important subject. Now, as we begin, I think that I need to start, first of all, with this. The proper attitude toward possessions. Number one, the proper attitude toward possessions. Now, the great matter that the Bible addresses with regard to money and possessions is not how much a man has, whether he's rich or poor, whatever it might be. That's not the great matter that the Bible addresses. The great matter that the Bible addresses is this. Are you a faithful steward? Are you a faithful steward of what you do have? That's what the Bible addresses. What's a steward? A steward is one who manages, and and this is key to understanding this whole thing. A steward is one who manages the affairs and properties of another. 
He is the administrator or keeper of accounts and goods which belong to someone else, but which have been placed in his possession as a steward. And I think you can connect the dots. He doesn't own these things. The steward doesn't own these things. He possesses them and manages them, and he will someday give an account to his master, if you will, for his stewardship. Jesus taught that we are stewards. And the truth is that you will never be what you ought to be as a Christian. Hear what I'm saying? You'll never be what you ought to be as a Christian until you get a hold of this great truth that God owns everything and you don't own anything. God owns everything. You and I, we don't own anything. We possess things. But we don't own them. God owns them. Wasn't that what the Bible teaches? It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. It all belongs to God. We belong to God. Paul said, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? Listen, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything out there, see, all that exists has been created by him. He owns it all and he owns us. And he owns you and he owns me not only by right of creation, but also by right of redemption. He purchased us with the blood of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But now he allows us to possess things. And oh... My, has he been good to us, huh? He allows us to possess things. But the chief reason that we have these things is to use them for the glory of God, for the advancement of his kingdom. And someday as stewards, remember, we don't own anything. It all belongs to God. But we have possession of the things that God has allowed us to have possession of. And someday as stewards, we're going to have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account of our stewardship. So then, if all that you possess belongs to God, then you and I are stewards of his property, making it absolutely essential that we practice biblical principles of financial stewardship. As a matter of fact, the test the test of true stewardship is your willingness to surrender to God in financial matters. Some some who claim to be Christians are dishonest people. They won't tithe. That's dishonest. When we tithe, it proves our honesty. And some don't really love God all that much because they refuse to give over and above the tithe as in the faith promise offering. And you see, we're taught in the scriptures that when we give an offering like that, it proves the sincerity of our love. So tithing proves my honesty, giving. You don't give until you've tithed. My giving proves the sincerity of my love for God. Now, secondly, let me ask you this question. Are you rich toward God... Or are you rich toward self? 
Now, remember that I'm talking about the great matter that the Bible addresses with regard to money and possessions. The question to the believer would be, are you laying up treasures for yourself, or are you laying up treasures in heaven? Are you laying up treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal? Or are you laying up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, Jesus said. Now look with me here at Luke chapter number 12, excuse me, in verse number 13. Luke chapter number 12 and verse number 13. And one of the company said unto him, now, We learn in the beginning of chapter number 12 that there's an innumerable multitude of people. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, but there's an innumerable multitude of people present. And it says in verse 13, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me? Jesus said, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Jesus said unto them, those standing there, he said, Take heed and beware of the covetous, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Now, I believe, and I don't think there's any doubt about it, that the guy in verse number 13 desired more than that which was rightfully his. He was a covetous man. It may be, and, and I would say it is, that his, his brother was his oldest brother, the eldest brother, and deserving of a double portion. But he says, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. I think he wanted more than was rightfully his. He's covetous. And I think that because of the response of the Lord Jesus, man, why would Jesus talk to him this way if it weren't something like that? Jesus said, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, listen to what Jesus said in response to what he asked for. Take heed and beware of covetousness. I think the man was covetous. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Now in verse number 16, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Notice all the eyes. What shall I, I do, I, my, me. The guy says, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. In other words, there's no thought of God here. It's all about self. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall all those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, Jesus said, and is not rich toward God. Are you rich toward self? Or are you rich toward God? As we can see here, the philosophy of the world is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And look what this guy's doing. He says, uh, uh, boy, my land brought forth plentifully, and I'm going to tear down the barns of heaven. I'm going to build bigger ones, and I'm going to fill them up. And then, you know what his idea is? His idea is to just sit back and enjoy life, eat, drink, and be merry, 
Now, that's not a biblical philosophy. And I want to inject something right here. If I had the idea, or you had the idea, any one of us, it doesn't make any difference what profession we're in, to invest so that when we turn, say, 60 years old, we don't have to work anymore, and we can go off to Florida and walk the beach or something, that's wrong. That is not biblical. A man was made, made to work. And we ought to work as long as we can work. I mean, it's something. And there might be uh, a, a case made for somebody who, uh, let's say, is 60 or 65 years old and has uh, uh, quite a bit of wealth and, and uh, wants to serve the Lord, as I had a man do in Pennsylvania. He was retired Navy after 30 years, and uh, he came and served the Lord in the church. And, I mean, he worked there almost on a daily basis, serving God. But we need to be doing something. We need to be working. It's wrong just to sit back and watch a TV or watch the beach or go fishing every day of your life. It's wrong. It's not biblical. We had a preacher friend. I believe he was probably 60 years old, and he retired. He'd saved and invested, and I guess this was his plan. He retired. And he went off to where the sun shines. And he got himself a boat. Swimming pool in the backyard, actually under roof, screened in. And uh, he'd call me as I was up in Maine serving the Lord. and He'd laugh and say, guess where I am? Right on the bay today, my wife's sitting here soaking up the sun, and I've got a line over the side of the boat. Call me another time and say, guess where I am? And he'd be someplace walking a beach or whatever, you know, and just every day he said, I'd go down here to Burger King to start the day and read the newspaper and have a cup of coffee, and then maybe we'll go out on the boat or we'll go down to the beach or we'll do this or that. They'd been together. For many years. But the end had broke up. I mean God just didn't allow it to go on. It's wrong. It's wrong. And it's wrong. Uh, for, for people to get this notion that. Uh, we'll turn 60, 62, 65. And. Uh, go off to Florida let's say for. Six or eight months out of the year, we have snowbirds up, up there in Maine, you know, they call them. And they get down to Florida. We don't have any in our church that do it. But there are many in the town where we live who do it. It would be wrong for me, as a member of the Mid-Coast Baptist Church in Brunswick, Maine, to forsake my church for six to eight months out of the year. To forsake my church, the church that Jesus Christ set me in, the Holy Ghost set me in. To pull up and go off to some other state to vacation for six months, it would be wrong. He sent me in that church for a purpose. I'm a part of that body. And I have, I have a function in that body. We've just got so many things messed up today. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong 
to prepare for old age, for a time when perhaps I'll not be able to work or generate an income. It's not wrong to prepare for that. That's right. That's a good thing to do. So I'm not saying that people ought not to be investing. They ought to be investing and preparing. And you know, when when God's people invest and they're able to accumulate uh, some finances, uh, they're able to further the work of God. You have a missions conference like this as somebody has uh, invested and saved money, built something, and and uh, you have a missions conference like this, they're able to do more than ever before for missions. Or it may be a building fund, and they're able to write a sizable check. That's a blessing. So it's not, I'm not saying it's wrong to lay up, but I'm saying that this whole philosophy here that we see is absolutely wrong, and uh, all along, even as we're saving, uh, the work of God ought to come first. The work of God. Well... I said we can see from this passage of scripture the philosophy of the world is eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. In other words, let's get all we can. Let's have a great time. Let's party. Let's get all we can out of life. Eat, drink, and be merry because someday it's going to be all over. It's all going to be over, I should say. That's the philosophy of the world. It's sinful. It originates with Satan. It doesn't originate with God. To be concerned only for self with no thought of God and his will is wicked. Somebody wrote these words about people like that. I had a little tea party this afternoon at three. It was very small, three guests and all, just I, myself, and me. Myself ate all the sandwiches while I drank up the tea. It was also I who ate the pie and I passed the cake to me. That's where a lot of people are. It's all about self. One of the most pathetic things in the whole world is a person who is only concerned for self and for the here and now. Those of us who have been saved by the grace of God are not of this world, and we ought to have a different attitude. As a matter of fact, ours ought to be diametrically opposed to the attitude and philosophy of the world. The philosophy of the world is get Get, get, get all you can for self. Get everything I can for me. That's the philosophy of the world. But the very essence of Bible Christianity is give. Just the opposite. The very essence of Bible Christianity is giving, not getting. In other words, giving is the predominant quality. It is the crucial element. It characterizes Bible Christianity. Giving. You say... You got a proof text for that, preacher? Oh, yeah, I got a few. John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Galatians 1.4. Who gave himself for our sins. Ephesians 5.25. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Titus 2.14 who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. The man with a biblical attitude toward possessions realizes that all things belong to God and that he is only a steward of those things, so he has no problem 
giving as God directs him to give. No problem at all. So being a steward, <clears throat> excuse me, when God tells me to bring the first fruits, 10% into his storehouse, which is today the New Testament church, there was the house of God in the Old Testament, you know, the tabernacle that Moses built, that was the house of Moses, we call it the tabernacle. And then there was the house that Solomon built, that great temple, and uh, that was the storehouse. But today it's the house that Jesus built, the New Testament church. This New Testament Baptist church is a house that Jesus built, and this is the New Testament storehouse. And the tithes are to be brought into this storehouse. And then when my church has a missions conference promoting faith promise giving, I gladly participate. I rejoice to do it. I do it cheerfully. It is his, and someday I'm going to have to stand in his presence and give an account of what I did with all that that belonged to him. Not me, but him. Now then, the priority of missions in the New Testament Baptist Church. Missions is to be the main thing. Jesus commissioned his churches, each and every particular church, is to go into all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever he's commanded. It's our duty to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into all the world and proclaim it, listen, making his name famous. We want to make his name famous. And the Bible says in Psalm 113.3, from the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. We want to carry the gospel to these people that they might be saved, that they might glorify God, praise the name of Jesus all around the world. We want to make his name famous. And we have a biblical mandate. I just quoted it to you. It's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And I do believe that when anyone has a problem with the Great Commission, it's because they have a problem with the Great Commandment. The fellow asked the Lord Jesus, which is the great commandment? And the Lord Jesus said the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. He said, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. And then you know what he said? On these, hang or hinge, whatever word it was he used, all the law and the prophets... All of the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. Why, just think of the Ten Commandments. The first four of those Ten Commandments are summed up in this. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. I think another passage says strength. The first four commandments are summed up in that. And the last six commandments are summed up in this, 
and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Because they have to do with our relationship with our fellow man. And the fellow that has a problem, or the woman, anybody who has a problem with a great commission, and I've met people who do. Why, I've met people. <laughs> I pastored a church years ago. I was just starting out, I guess 25 years old maybe. An old man stood up in the back when I led the church to take on a missionary. And the old, old grandpa stood up in the back, and just about everybody was related to him, 125 people. Had some connection or other. He was a grandfather, an uncle, or a daddy, or a something, you know. And and uh, he stood up and he said, he said this: "We're not going to do this missionarian. We're not going to do this missionarian. We see what you're trying to do with this church and with our money. And they had money in the bank, building paid for, and all." We're not sending it out of here. Wow. That man was in an independent Baptist church as a member, but I don't think he even knew the Lord. He had a problem with the Great Commission, and some people do, some churches do, but I think when somebody has a problem with the Great Commission, it's because they have a problem with the Great Commandment. They don't love God like they ought to love God. Not only do we have a Bible mandate, but we have a Bible method. And that method, you've been over it before. I know you have. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. Turn there with me. I'll get there in a minute. I'm always in a sword drill. I'm always the last one. I don't know what it is with me. Second Corinthians chapter number 8. Listen to this. Paul wrote and he said, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. He said, I, I want to I give you testimony. Witness about these churches, the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty, that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us. What was Paul? He was a missionary. Unto us by the will of God. Now, I'm, I'm going to stop reading there. I could go further, but it would uh, we'd be here a long time if I tried to cover any more. In this passage of Scripture, we learn that there is more than one way of giving. We understand, as we talked about earlier, that the tithe, 10% of our gross income, is the Lord's. It's to be paid to the Lord through the New Testament church. The scriptures, both the Old and New Testaments, are clear about that. The tithe belongs to God. It is to be paid. It is to be brought and placed in the offering plate. It is the first fruits of our increase, and bringing that to God honors him 
just as withholding it would dishonor him. Now, most of us understand that when we bring our tithes, we haven't given God anything in the strictest sense. I mentioned that a little while ago. Uh, When I pay Central Maine Power, that's our power company up in Maine where we live, when I pay them, I'm not sending them a gift. I'm paying them for what they've provided. If my wife walked into my study and I was at the computer, used to be write a check, but now I just go to the bank site with bill payer, you know, and put the amount in, click the button, and it's transferred from our account to their account. Uh, but if my wife came and said, what are you doing? And I said, uh, I'm sending Central Maine Power a gift of $154.22. She'd say, what are you, nuts? What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm not sending them a gift. I'm, I'm paying what I owe. And the Bible teaches that the tithe is, a, tithe is the Lord's. I pay that, and then I give gifts over and above the tithe. And the faith promise is where I give the most of it. In order that we can get the promote the missions program of the Mid-Coast Baptist Church and get the missionaries supported around the world so that they can make the name of Jesus famous. Now, uh, some argue that the tithe is Old Testament law, but the truth is, and I heard that when I went to college, I got so sick of hearing that from professors who paid their tithe to the college, to the university, instead of to the local church, uh, just justifying themselves. But some argue that the tithe is Old Testament law. The truth is that the tithe is older than the law. Tithing began, I believe, I believe it began way back with Adam. Certainly God taught him to tithe. But it's clear that Abraham understood the principle of tithing. It's clear that uh, Abraham's grandson understood the principle of tithing. It's clear that the law was not given until some 500 years after Abraham. God incorporated tithing into the law, made it part of the law. And it's clear that the Lord Jesus in the New Testament endorsed tithing, Matthew 23, 23. And always remember that there is not one verse in all of God's word that teaches that tithing ever ceased to be an obligation of believers. When you go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's not one verse in all the Bible that teaches that tithing ceased to be an obligation of believers. Anyone who has a problem with tithing has a problem with the Great Commandment. All right? Now, in this message, we find a Bible method for missions giving. I'm talking about Paul's letter here to the Corinthians, second letter, chapter number 8. In verse number one, he says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So Paul is challenging the church at Corinth by using the uh, churches of Macedonia as an example. You see, what happened was this. Paul had, uh, uh, Paul had told the churches of Macedonia what the church at Corinth had decided to do how they were going to give. They were going to give by faith. They'd promised an offering. He told that to the churches of Macedonia. And the churches of Macedonia got excited, and they said, we want to do that. And they did, and they collected, and they paid it. But the Corinthians hadn't paid theirs. 
So Paul writes back to them and is in essence saying to them, you need to take care of this. I don't want you to be embarrassed. Now then, in verse number 2, it says, how that in a great trial of affliction, he's talking about the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. The churches of Macedonia made a promise to give, and they kept it in spite of two serious problems. Number one, they were undergoing a great trial of affliction. These people knew what it was to suffer. These churches knew what it was to suffer. They'd gone through some deep waters. They knew what it was to have great burdens. They not only suffered affliction, but Paul said that they suffered a great trial of affliction. They went through deep waters. Now observe here that these people who were going through intense suffering kept on serving God. Many people forsake God when the trials come. But not these people. And these are our forebears. These are people that I look back to with great respect. These were Baptists in the first century. Now you say, you call them Baptists, yeah. Even Catholic historians and Methodist historians, etc., those who are truthful will tell you, and some have written, that all those churches, Christian churches in the first century, were Baptist churches. And what they mean by that is they were Baptists in their doctrine and practice. So these are our forebears, and uh, they were undergoing a great trial of affliction, but they did not forsake God when the trials came. Now, secondly, not only were they undergoing a great trial of affliction, but they were in deep poverty. Paul mentions their deep poverty. And that word deep is translated from a word which speaks of extreme. Extreme. These people were in extreme poverty. Their homes had been ravaged. Some of their homes had been burned. Everything they had had been taken away from many of them. I mean, they were undergoing severe trials, persecution. And they were in extreme poverty as a result. But they gave liberally. That's amazing. They were extremely poor, in extreme poverty, but they gave liberally. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, extreme poverty, abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Now, if these people were undergoing such persecution And 
and were stripped of just about everything they had and were in extreme poverty could give then I don't think a one of us in this building tonight has an excuse that would stand up before God for not giving, for not participating in the missions offering of our local church. Not one, there's not an excuse that can be made. I don't think there's an excuse that can be made. And they gave... He said that they gave not only to their power, but beyond their power. In other words, they gave what we couldn't possibly believe that they could have given. Over and above what anybody could think. And giving beyond their power means that they gave by faith. God provided so they could give. Then he says in verse 5, And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord, and unto us by the will of God. And I'm convinced if we will, if we will give ourselves to the Lord, just recognize as I've been preaching tonight that God owns everything, God owns me, and take my hands off my life and give myself to God, and let him have control. If we do that, we'd be able to give as God would desire us to give. He says in verse 7, Therefore, as ye abound in everything in faith, listen, church, as ye abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, See that ye abound in this grace also. What grace? The grace of giving. See that ye abound in this grace also. God doesn't need money. Did you know that? God is a self-sufficient one. I am that I am. He's the only one that's self-sufficient. We all are dependent on him. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills, a wealth in every mine. You know that. God needed more gold, he'd create it. So I'm saying to you that God doesn't need money. He can create gold. Money is not the problem. We are the problem. God wants us. And our money represents us. You go out and you work and you earn money for it. And that money represents your life. And God wants us. I would encourage every one of you to participate in this faith promise offering and do everything that you possibly can to further the cause of Christ and advance the cause of missions 
through the Lighthouse Baptist Church. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for these verses of Scripture that we've looked at tonight. Thank you for these people, for this church. And I pray that you'd use this church, Lord, to do more in the days ahead than they ever thought possible. As people give not only to their power, but beyond their power. Having first given themselves to the Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.